What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. This here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's before the fight. This is actually part two of my attempt to record it. I did give you guys the warning on Twitter that it was going to be a bit late, but... um. Without going too in deep, I know I am the oversharer, but uh, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I had to I had to put it off. My my uh, my mother was getting uh, went went under for a test today, not for her surgery for the brain, but they went in there, leg up there through the vein, and got a peek around and uh, to, to plan the surgery. Which uh, the only reason why I share that is that surgery for the brain, multiple brain aneurysms. It's like minesweeper. Unfortunately, we found a bunch, but we're lucky that we found them. Sometimes you're not so lucky. You need you find out the hard way. Um, R.I.P. there, Katie Collins from uh, Bellator. But yeah, I only share that with you guys just to let you know that um, I will be uh, possibly uh, taking a, a, a little bit of a, a hiatus and my foot off the gas for sure um, it, when that happens because I will be needed to uh, take care of my, my mother. I've already kind of started that as I've kind of alluded to another podcast and as you can hear my niece in the background and you might hear the elevated empty echo 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 i'm in my sister's house here i had to I also had to break away um because you had to pick up my, my my niece from school so um my mom's kind of the rock of the family she uh, helps take care of my sister and her three children and also my elderly grandfather she she helps try to take care of everybody so while she is uh dealing with this i'm uh i'm i'm doing as much of those duties as i can to make sure that she rests um during this important time, so it can go a lot of which ways. Thank you for the positive vibes. Going to knock on wood that it goes well, but regardless how it goes, it's going to be a lot of work. So I'll announce that if that happens, but until then, um, we're going to go get through. I would say as per usual, this isn't really a usual show either. Going to try to get it uh, expedited. As I say that, I got to give a quick shout to at Dan Mays NZ, who said, oh, expedited version, jump ahead and look an hour and a half. Hopefully not. We're going to tackle a lot of things that will be time-sensitive, and I will be, be time-stamped as per usual. And like I was saying before, I interrupted myself in this sentence. Speaking of as per usual, yes, aside from today, I will be, be, be going about breaking down cards as per usual until I take that break. Um, so just forgive me. Forgive the noises in the background. Um, my young niece, Bella, is, uh, is running around here. Um, it's funny. She just uh, grabbed a whole bowl of Sour Patch Kids. probably going to inject sugar into her system. I guess Sour Patch Kids makes a cereal. I don't know, but she asked me how Sour Patch Kids were made and why they're so sour. I said, well, that's e. Everybody knows that, Bella. And I said, it's the tears of children. Um, this is why my sister reluctantly has me babysit and why my, my first nephew has his first words were inappropriate ones because old Uncle Dan's babysitting. And uh, <laughs> she goes, really? I'm like, yes, of course, really. I mean, have you tasted your own tears? It's salty, right? And that's where they got the idea for Sour Patch Kids. So now every year before, you know, uh, harvest season happens, they round out a bunch of round up a bunch of children. They put them into uh, cells and, and, and they, 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 they torture them until tears come out and they catch those tears and they, they funnel it into their sugar factory and gummies and, and cereal. And uh, I thought, you know, she was going to call BS, but she's the youngest of all the nep- nieces and nephews, so maybe she didn't pick up on her old Uncle Dem's sense of humor yet, so she's over on her phone just now, and I was laughing when we started this podcast, because I hear her telling her friend, Michelle, do you know how Sour Patch Kids are made? I'm like, oh boy, here, oh boy, what did I start? And I have some parents complaining, so 
It's Uncle Dan, huh? Babysitting Uncle Dan. But hey, we're going to push ahead, folks. Um, that's kind of just was my brief catch-up on what's going on with me. But uh, that aside, even though family stuff, my mom, I just got, got word, which is part of the reason why I was able to start the podcast. She came out of it okay. So so we're going to go take it from here. Um, but I just wanted to give you guys that reasoning, as well as it's just a crazy week. I mean, uh, I, I there's three major fight cards this week, the two Bellators doubles and the UFC over in uh, Singapore, which we'll be breaking down here. I'm going to do quick picks, and I'm only going to break down, including Bellator, probably, guys, only like four in-depth matches here. So that'll help keep things down, and I will be answering your questions, which I did that Twitter post. I will be answering those questions at the end. A lot of those are involved with UFC Singapore, so it'll be killing two birds with one stone, and the others are kind of like evergreen questions. So there'll be some evergreen stuff at the end for you, as well as the goodies, like the picks, and maybe some, not so much evergreen, because our landscape changes, but some news just broke as I was uh, going to pick up... uh, Going to pick up my niece, apparently the UFC 244 main event is in jeopardy, which sucks because on top of the three major events that your boy was having a breakdown and kind of split his, you know, split his focuses in different areas. Some are just video, some are video and write-up. Got to go through and, you know, at least study enough of the main card picks, at least enough to make a pick. Uh, Especially if I'm supposed to talk about them or, God forbid, these fighters who I do, you know, not as much without MMA Junkie Radio, but I I do interview or see on a basis. I got to, you know... Got to be able to man up and stand my ground, and uh, you know I can't. Oh, I just picked against you because I'm a lazy fuck. I <laughs> uh, can't do that. Ooh, gotta watch my my cursing here, the kids. She's <laughs> another reason why <laughs> Dan's not a good babysitter. But uh, but yeah yeah. So um. Anyways anyways so yeah that news broke, which was fun. People were asking me about that, and I essentially just did a little rant, uh, which you know is never really great on Twitter, but uh, I, I do them from time to time. And I uh, left one up there, just essentially, just you know, this is just crappy. You know, like what just it's it's funny, like whether it's means O'Malley, like Nate Diaz, like it's the skinny dudes, like no one is accusing of using are getting popped for like tainted stuff or weed, albeit not this time. While like rip dudes be staying rip, we're still getting like Paulo Bohachinas coming in, like you know what I'm saying? Like I think Vitor was like the sacrificial lamb, where like oh post Usada, oh they got him, oh he popped up on the test. When you really think about it, like uh, it feels like a disproportionate amount as people who I would never have thought using. I mean, I know BJ Penn hasn't helped this case for really anything character-wise, but one of the few things you can somewhat slightly defend is remember when he got popped for an IV? Like it was crazy because he actually admitted to the IV; it wasn't even tested for anything. He was filling out a form and like was you know kind of told on himself, well, almost in a somewhat similar way to Leo Machida's D H H E A or whatever D H E A, which like. Women would come through the lines and buy through Whole Foods, albeit there's a whole other theory with that Machida thing I'm not going to get into, so I'm not, and nor am I trying to exempt him, but I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, whereas BJ's, it was kind of crazy because a bunch of people from the Jackson Wink was doing this, uh, what was it called? Um, glutathione treatments, which was like supposed to be like good for concussion protocols, and God knows that guy, you know, especially just fighters in general need it. But in order to administer the therapy, which is supposed to help for concussions, it is through an IV and anything through IV is a no-no, and that's what he got caught for. And, you know, again, say what you will about BJ, and you can say a lot more now, and definitely not trying to defend him here, nor will I. But no one is accusing him of cheating. You know what I'm saying as far as, like, drugs go? I'm like, these are the people that we're fucking catching. It's it's goddamn ridiculous. It's really stupid. And uh, as I tweeted there, like, you know, whether we're talking about USADA, athletic commissions, or just my interpersonal experiences with... Um, corporate America, which that's a very bendable term. We can all kind of relate to that, or more specifically even, uh, which is different, but uh, another unique area, and this all ties together, mind you, 
which is the construction industry, another area Dan Tom worked in. And what I hated most and what I found most disgusting about all aspects of those jobs where there was a faction of each of those jobs that worked under the guise of safety. And just like you hear about these producers in Hollywood who ruin your favorite TV shows or movies because they have to step in or input, the reason why those people input is because they feel like they have to justify their jobs because producers, just like people that work under the guise of safety, don't really have a lot, or executive producers, aside from money, some type of entitlement that likely got them to that position, they don't really have much of a role. So it's like this human like thing where you feel like you have to justify. Even if you're not an ego person, unfortunately, ego people tend to be also driven toward these roles, you know, of public service, though I'm, 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 my face is out there all the time. And there's a weird, remember, remember Keith Kaiser? Like, dude, are you an athletic commissioner? Or are you just doing like your Al Pacino heat impression all the time? We're like, oh, you've got a goatee this time and now you don't. Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right. Keith Kaiser, Pacino wannabe. And then we had the, the freaking reanimator uh the reanimated uh what was her name um try to suspend nick for five years uh pat lundvall yeah you know it's people that work under the guise of safety it's just gross you know we had it in construction you know this is bull crap oh teaching us how to use ladders you know we had so many osha violations so i took it upon myself to be a safety inspector and we're gonna have safety me and I was like, no, dude, like, you're taking 15 minutes away. Me and my crew could be getting our job done so you can justify your goddamn paycheck. And that's essentially what we see, you know, same with all the BS directives we see handed down to corporate America for safety and this and that, while quietly corporations have all been drastically cutting their health insurance, like that thing on Whole Foods, which they've been doing that for a minute, by the way, and I have my own rant, which I need to go on in that regard. But uh, not here. I won't do it. Don't worry. But it's just the point of it's really gross. So we'll see what happens. Nate is what I'm talking about in case I didn't make it clear. Nate is yeah uh, being notified of some type of violation and insinuated that whether it be the UFC or USADA, um, somebody uh, offered him a deal. Um, offered him a deal as far as like to keep it quiet so the fight can go on and pop. And, and it's... He he lays it out better, but like uh, someone asked here, beatboxing, beatbox monkey, um, asked on Twitter. I took what he said slash wrote as the UFC was attempting to keep it quiet until after the pay per view, not USADA. Why would USADA care to keep it quiet? They generate money from pay per views. In fact, only ESPN generates money now from the pay per view. Correct? They pay the UFC a flat guaranteed fee, right? Yes, they do, but there are still pay per view point deals in place, which albeit seems much more reluctant and aren't being dealt from my knowledge as much there was for this for example Masvidal so even though UFC quietly had a backup plan which props to them it's smart uh, not only is it not as sexy despite there being an instilled storyline with said Leon Edwards who apparently was getting ready for this fight that's going to affect the buy rates majorly on even though it was a well-designed card there's not exactly a title fight it's a top heavy card in the sense that the only title on it at the top was a, it's a freaking made-up title let's be honest um, as cool as it is, or cool as you might think it is, it's a made-up title. Um, and now we're, we're kind of losing that. So is the BMF belt for that, you know? Uh, Leon, Rocky, Edwards. And as far as USADA, not UFC, is there really a difference, Beatbox Monkey? You know, and I'm not picking on you as I say that. I'm just re saying your name to requeue and uh, reference to your question there and asking the proverbial audience here. I mean, are they really a different people? I mean, we follow the money, right? Who pays who? UFC pays USADA. USADA's got a nice office in UFC headquarters. And as we saw when things go uh, that the UFC really wants to have happen, um, we've seen kind of uh, 
you know, flimsy science, uh, to, to put it, to put it, to, uh, to put it frankly, as far as what things are justified and what things aren't justified and look no further than last year's, uh, or earlier this year's debacle with, uh, or late last year, I should say, is debacle with John Jones uh, and the main event being moved to California, and all that. Um, you know, if if it was Uf, you know, it, it it was UFC facilitating it behind reasoning that was being provided by USADA. It was in conjunction work. I mean, I I don't know how much more in conjunction or in cahoots you know they could be, and someone could get mad at me or they could get mad at me for saying it. But really, how much have they done to disprove it? What you know, the word optics is so is so popular these days. What are the optics there? The optics aren't good. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. That was just kind of my my sense on that. It just sucks, you know. I just did. Um, I just got you know. It, not only was there three freaking cards to cover, but uh, you know, work. And I love my job. It's not not complaining, but it just was really killing me this week because aside from, you know, my health BS, my dog's health BS, which is still ongoing. Poor guy. And my mom, of course, most importantly, you know, you get the three major cards. And then I, I had to have all my analysis pretty much due in for the top two fights at UFC 244. I just finished recording those videos this morning. Um, I even did a cross-promotional piece. I'm, I'm, even though it might be spoiled with this um, announcement, I'm not going to go ahead and spoil who or what it was. But essentially, it was for another uh, outlet. Don't worry. It's okay with MMA Junkie World. I was representing Junkie, if anything. And it's just a, it's a contributed analysis, I'll say that. In regards to the main event, I even did that, just fucking crumpling it all up, uh, quit crossing over into Quentin Tarantino's universe. Although I'm still proud of that, and all that stuff still applies. And I even, I even threw a little bit of that playing card style in, in the attached thread of tweets uh, that, that I referenced earlier. Um, it was based around this main event, right? The BMF title, and it's just fucking a man. This is why we can't have nice things, and. This is why there's too much MMA. It's like maybe there, maybe it's good that there's too much MMA this time. Not really, but it's like that. You know what? It's like even if it goes through, it was going to happen. I'm still pissed off because we have a three fucking event week. You know, it's 36 hours of MMA straight right before UFC 244, which is actually a decent card. And after it, we have two weekends in a row of double stack, both Bellator and both UFC cards. I mean, it is insane. And yeah, I'm sorry I'm speaking from a bias, not just personally what's going on with me, but then also my beat and the fact that I actually study these fighters and actually have to not just preview for UFC fights, also preview for a contender series. So if you count contender series, which overlap the UFC free weeks we had over the summer and Bellator, I also for the majority of those quote unquote couple of UFC free weekends also had cards scheduled then. For me, just UFC free, not including MMA free, just UFC three. I gotta go like to the end of May, with my last UFC free week. And according to the schedule, I think eleven twenty one is or eleven sixteen is the next UFC free week. But then Bellator, of course, you know, right when you're gasping up, your your head's coming out of the water for air. Hey, Bellator's got a show there, and uh, I have got a theory on that schedule because someone asked me uh, later if I think Bellator is going to double up on more shows and I'll give my theory on that when I get to your question sir but yeah uh, and the Bellator has a show and then that weekend after 1121 that's the first MMA free weekend and god knows how long but uh but hey folks whatever it's like the people who get recycling and recycle to the people who don't you know the people who don't recycle probably like I want UFC every week I don't care what the fucking cost is you know or uh, sorry not supposed to curse you didn't hear that word Bella you didn't hear that word uh, <laughs> you know whereas the people that recycle are probably are probably like hey, you know let's uh 
we should look at things to see what's the best for everybody here. But, you know, it's also why I have a job, so I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is, folks. I, I can't complain too much if I can't, if I can't uh, get an answer. Uh, anyways, all right. Um, let's get to this recap. UFC and ESPN 6 happened. It's funny. I spaced out in the middle of it, and like, I started questioning. like, wait, did I already recap this card? What card are we on? Uh, when I recorded the first iteration of this before I had to boom out the door and get my niece. Um, because I'm just so lost. Even if I get like eight hours of sleep or four, I've been so, obviously, with everything going on physically, emotional. Like, emotional exhaustion is different. Mental exhaustion is different. Physical, like, they're all different things. All of them are taxed right now. Like, to the point where even if I get a good night of sleep, I'm still waking up. I don't know what day it is. And it was so funny. I wish I kept the original. Um, although we're going to be, it's going to be shorter now. Uh, re-recording it, um, but yeah, I was so it was hilarious. I second guessed myself. We went four, eight, and one. It was bad, bad night. Four, eight, and one overall in picks. One in five in straight plays. Zero oh, and four in props, and no real parlay ple- parlay pieces. But yeah, definitely got my shit pushed. In. You ever get your shit pushed? In? <laughs> take take a shot from me. Take a shot if you're playing the PYMP podcast drinking game. But there were some cool things and topics to talk about, uh, so I'll just I'll just breeze through. Uh, except for just, I know one point I want to talk about. Um, yeah, stay logged in. All right, got results pulled up right here. Uh, obviously, Chris Dominic Reyes defeated Chris Wadman. I got this main event right. Hey, Dang Tom called it pretty 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 well, but. You know me, I don't get too high. I don't get, well, probably get more low than I need to be. And I'll beat myself up here for the pick that ended up mattering probably more than more than most. And that was harder slash easier to see depending on your perspective. But yeah, I guess I did get this one right to give myself credit. Defended some takedowns, ended up getting this counter cross. Albeit I said in round two and it was round one, whatever. Uh, Yair Rodriguez defeated Jeremy Stevens. Man, I should have switched my pick, but I stuck to my guns. Albeit, I did say less confident. I warned you. It was less confident. I told you not to jump off the bridge with me, although I did put my money where my mouth is. And I was, oh, I was going crazy. I was about to, hit, I was about to go crazy for that round three prop. It almost hit. Two, the two ones I played almost hit. So, I mean, bad night of picks. You can't count what you almost got. But for what it's worth, the analysis wasn't crazy for whatever that's worth. The picks were wrong. But the analysis wasn't crazy, as was this fight between Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens. As I said, you know, everyone's all oh, speed, speed. I'm like, yeah, of course he's going to be faster. He's going to be faster in a five-round fight. He's going to be faster in a three-round fight. The question is, is can he stop Jeremy Stevens before that proverbial tortoise catches up to the hare? And I dare say the pick was wrong, but the analogy was right. We saw the hare catch up to the tortoise, and uh, or the tortoise catch up to the hare. And uh, even though the pick was wrong, props to, to, to Rodriguez. Um, his athleticism is still going to bail him out and give me a lot of hope for him. However, he does run the risk of being your next Anthony Pettis slash Edson Barbosa for all the potential in the world. But yet, when you like look at earlier their career to much later in his career, you're going to see the same holes and the same themes and the same styles stumping him every time. So I fear, I hope, it's, I hope I'm wrong, but I fear that might be the case for Rodriguez. He can still climb very high. He can still prove schmucks like me wrong. That's fine. That doesn't change the fact that I think that's going to catch up with them, and I think it's, I think it's clear you know, from what little pressure fighters and fighters who could wrestle uh, what what they've been able to do. Um, and shame on people who were thinking Jeremy Stevens was scared. I mean, that's just silly to say. I mean, you got to have some balls to say that about a fighter, and I hope you've gotten in there and aren't just you know 
resting and being lazy and from your couch yelling at these poor guys. And furthermore, if you are going to lobby that, at least have some evidence. And if you are going to lobby that without evidence, don't lobby it at a guy like Jeremy freaking Stevens, especially after what he showed. Come on now. Um, Greg Hardy, I'm not going to jump on that hate train, man. Uh, not to say that I like the guy. I don't. I do hate this kind of thing in like social, you know. <sighs> I'm not even going to talk about right or left and how that plays into this, but there's this whole thing where like, you have to state, like, you know, you have to white knight it and state that you're white knighting. And, and I'm saying that I'm the white knighting it or other people are white knighting it. They're people that I respect that don't like them, and I don't like them either. I'm on the same side as those people. I'm not coming at those people. What I'm talking about is this whole thing where, like, you have to state what you don't like. I, it's, just, it's just this weird, like, I'll say it because this is a fair. We're seeing it more from the left than the right, but it was started from the right. So I'm attacking both sides, so don't get triggered. I'm not on either side of that stupid race for what it's worth. So don't come at me with that shit. But what I'm talking about is we see more from the left now. It's like, hey, we got to, you know, it's just it's, 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 a, uh, what do you call it? It's this like social, uh, what do you call um, social, like social peacocking, right? And then the right used to do it back, like, you know, in the Bush administration after 9-11. It was like, you're not proud to be American? Power and pride. What? Are you against the war? It means you're against America. Like, well, no, I did, did kind of back to my, you know, that uh, Adesanya thing where it's like you can like something, but you don't have to be for everything, or you can dislike something, but still give it credit for the good. We don't have to be black and white at the expense of our own intelligence, the function of the world, or God forbid, good conversation. Um, so you know, it, it's just it's just really annoying. So now we just see a lot of that now. It's like, uh, and so I, people were like coming at me, like even not even for the Hardy thing. It was like for Wyman, like you should retire, retire. Like of course, um, but I'm, that's not the point of what I'm talking about. I'm laying out the statistics, and yes, I'm kind of drawing that obvious conclusion. So perhaps you could look at it that I was coaxing that response, but it's almost just like yes, like for the obvious, yes, I do think he probably should. If you want to know my opinion, but who cares what I think? Just putting out some actual factual evidence out there for us to make your own decision on. Greg Hardy did defeat Ben Sassoli by unanimous decision, which got overturned the night of to a no contest. Um, looking at it critically after that rant's over, looking at it critically, I think Greg Hardy did well. He uh, showed some leg kicks, some improved measuring, feints, footwork. Um, and I give him credit for not just being the athletic guy that wants to get him out of there in the first round. He actually showed that he wants to do this and take the art of fighting and combat sports seriously and uh, wants to conduct himself accordingly and be a heavy, you know, and maybe he didn't want to be a heavyweight that can go three rounds in a boring decision per se, but the fact that he showed a measured approach and uh, is, is, is a good sign. And I, for one, am glad that he didn't get a first round finish because we got to see more of him. That being said, in the spirit of my former colleague Ben Folks' tweet, is it really worth it? I mean, all the hype behind him, and you know, he's he he was well prepared from a well prepared camp. Gets a guy on short notice who's a small guy, not athletic guy. Granted, Samoans have hard heads, and he's a southpaw, and he hits heavy, so he's primed for that upset, and he'll probably upset some people before his time's done in the UFC. That has been Sassoli, but still, that aside, you know, Greg Hardy, whether you're a detractor or a supporter, I think on paper, especially for all the hype he's getting, but even with not probably should have delivered more. So there's a double-edged sword. Um, and he will continue to get better, as he should. He's young in his career, and uh, and he's a super athlete, so he's going to improve from fight to fight. But he won't be improving for his next fight because he's busy at the consulate and having to get all this stuff. And he's not even going to have Din Thomas in his corner. Boy, uh, Greg Hardy haters will, will have a reason to be happy. And uh, 
And uh, I don't know, maybe it's me being ultra contrarian. Like, part of me is like, yeah, finally to step up. But then other part of me is like, eh, sucks for him, man. It's like, it just shows the, and not that I feel bad for him. I'm telling you to feel bad for him. But I'm just looking at if you minus his personality and look at it as building a product and a heavyweight product, how rare those are in America and just how rare prospects are these days in a sense of uh, guys who can move the needle. And according to Dana White and the ESPN numbers that we don't see, apparently he does. But um, from that aspect, when you take everything away, it's away, it just kind of sucks. It goes to show that, you know, UFC, for as big as they are, not doing a great job as developing a talent as, per se, you know, the Bellator Grand Prix, as I kind of talked about in my, in my previewing articles um, and what Bellator has been doing. Um, and, and, and it sucks, man. The schedule, And it also goes to show that here's how bad the schedule is. Like, again, you can be UFC every... Every week, every week is fight week. And even Dana Week with White with those, every week is fight week. And Greg Hardy's my guy. Even him. Even he's having a sacrifice here because his guy, the UFC's guy, is probably going to get starched by a counter right hand by Volkov in a couple weeks. And um, and all, all just because, you know, I forget who was saying it on Twitter, but every veteran and manager is getting their chance to try to play politics, to play the hero, to save the UFC, because it's easy to play save the UFC because the UFC needs saving on a weekly basis because it's, they, they, you know, there's too many masters. They, they have, there's too much of a demand. Now they just work for the schedule. It's, it's more about the schedule than it is about UFC-level opposition fights, building fights, showcases, pageantry. Like those themes are very diminished, which is why we were probably so blown back when a guy can accomplish it like Israel Adesanya though that shit gets swallowed rightly f up oh I gotta watch my cursing here <laughs> but yeah so it's just so again you can be all for UFCs every weekend but it's it's gonna cost you whether it's good people bad people prospects uh, veterans we love they're all gonna be eaten by this wood chipping machine so yeah there's that fun Joe Lowe's undefeated Jonathan Pierce was glad to be wrong about that one although the one time I actually, because you know, Dan Tom, if anything, I'm always biased where I'll either pick or even if I don't pick the veteran, I'm wishing the veteran well and I'll put it even on the avoids list, even though I'm picking against them and I won't let myself play it at a principle. And I went against my morals and look what I get. I deserve it. Good on you, Joey Jojo. Joey Jojo. Macy Barber defeated Jillian Robertson. That's the fight I was talking about where I felt bad about getting wrong. It just, I felt so stupid. You know, we got he's such a good line on Barber and everything everybody was saying in the breakdown, I agree with. My God, like I said on the podcast, like my original breakdown was what happened was that Macy Barber has power for one. She's an athletic. She shows up on fight night, um, which is really rare, not just showing up on fight night, but having that power. More specifically, uh, she's got a really she's got a, a, a really flexible style of striking from kicks to punches coming forward off the counter in the clinch, off of the clinch break, specifically with elbows to spark off a finish on the feet in the first round, which was the original read. That's what happens. I don't have an issue with the stoppage. Good for Macy Barber. Uh, you know, sucks for Jillian Robertson because again, I'm, uh, you know, she kind of won me over. Maybe there's a little bit of bias there. Again, it's the danger of going too deep or just you know, whatever. But yeah, old Dan Tom. But I overcorrected the steering wheel, and I again, I to credit to myself, and hopefully you listen to me and picked up on my pick pick you pick up on this by now. But when I say overcorrect the steering wheel or when I warn you guys about those th about my biases getting one way and going the other, um, I'm not warning y'all for nothing. You know, uh, like I said with the uh, Amanda Rebus versus Mackenzie Dern, I warned that fight's gonna throw me off because I picked Dern even though I, my initial read was Rebus to do what she did, 
and use her striking and, and nullify it. But I was like, you know, it's I keep, you know, I keep doubting Dern. Maybe if I don't pick against her, I still kind of doubt her. And it's got to catch up, man. Doing you know, off the pregnancy props to her, but that's a quick turnaround. Um, you know, it's a quick turnaround. But you know what? She's an athletic performer. She shows up. She's got the, you know, you look at what she's done in jujitsu and. Um, she's been able to still finish fights late with her jiu-jitsu or rock girls late, uh, club and sub. Let me go with the athletic standout instead of the girl from American Top Teams from a good team, good preparation. Has a ton of girl training partners, most high-level girl training partners in every any team. And I felt dumb for going against it. So I was like, th with this one, I was like, oh, wait, I'll, I'll go with the American Top Team girl this time. I was going to be prepared. And we still, you know, in my defense, we still don't know, you know, uh, how Macy Barber would do, you know, from out on bottom for a long duration of time or against a skilled transitional submission threat like Robertson, albeit she's not the best one in the division, she's still a decent one. Well, Barber took care of her easily. Darren Stewart versus Darren Wynn. I did get this one right. And another one where I was jumping on the third round. Oh, I thought I was going to hit the third, uh, the third, the third round uh, prop there. But um, it didn't happen. But however, he, you know, he, Darren Stewart did win. And I, I got to admit, man, I did, did pretty much nailed this one before and then even my commentary during this is why i would love to call a fight it's my ultimate dream um because i'm always saying this stuff even with my slow ass typing and i'm actually not even doing it from a laptop live folks i'm doing it from a phone on fight nights but i love when i when i'm able to beat the commentators to it or hit a certain point especially when it's someone like dc who knows his shit and um like i was saying i'm like dude darren stewart showed he can turtle and use the fence um and the higher the weight class, the safer you are at turtling, because turtling exposes back takes, which are less less of a threat, the heavier you're getting weight, and front headlocks, which aren't necessarily less of a threat, granted, but still, uh, the back takes are, uh, comprise of 50% of that positional threat uh, portion chart, if you will, right? So you kind of get rid of that. It leaves you the front headlock. Now, Darren Wynn doesn't have any submission wins. He hasn't been fighting for that long. Although wrestlers will typically be strong from the front headlock, and if they're smart, they develop their submission game from there, a la Tony Ferguson, that's not Darren Wynn. Nor does he really have the, the, the limbs to take backs or really be doing front chokes. So as long as Stewart wasn't gassed, which like I said, and if you looked on his Instagram, he was, just, you know, he was wearing that heart rate monitor to sleep, for Christ's sakes, looking just ridiculously jacked. Shouts to John Anik on the best line of the night, by the way. It didn't even have to do with what Darren Stewart was saying, but he was just like, if I looked like that body like you, I'd have a shirt off as well. <laughs> it's great. But, yeah, as long as he was in shape, he was just going to be able to turtle up every time Darren Wynn got a takedown and then just own him on the feet. So props to Darren Stewart there. Charles Rosa defeated Manny Bermudez. Ah, I uh, picked Manny, but I did play Rosa a little bit. And even though I, I laid out Charles Rosa's path, me being more to outwork Man Manny for being lazy, uh, so I was wrong there. I guess I was technically right in the fact that Manny Bermudez – it's a little bit overly bumped here because I did warn you guys about the difference in rank, which was kind of surprising. Um, but I also, but even though I didn't call for the submission, despite warning about the difference in rank, I did again what I just said: highlight Manny Bermudez's lazy fare, almost lazy attitude, right? And that's what costed him the submission. Molly McCann defeated Diana Belbita. How do you like? Not, how do you not like Molly McCann? Uh, she's just uh, seems like a sweetheart. Molly McCann, fucking hell. Uh, Sean Woodson defeated uh, Kyle Bochniak. Uh, bad pick, but, I mean, we still really know a lot about Woodson. We still have to kind of wait and see, and we saw. Good on Woodson, huh? Really fights to his frame. Fight to your frame, folks, whether you're grappling. You know, you have long arms. You know, hopefully he's getting good at front headlocks. Or if you're striking, throwing corralling shots like hooks, uppercuts, 
to, uh, knees to corral him into that center line, staying behind his length. Randy Costa defeated Boston Salmon. That was on the stay away for a reason. Tough to see, man. Um, I, I don't know what to say about Boston. Uh, props to Randy Costa. Always liked him. Not just saying that now. I mean, I picked him to beat Brandon Davis, so he's on the board with the win. Good for him. Sean Brady defeated Court McGee. Was wrong about that pick and was impressed with Brady. But I wasn't, in my defense, wasn't, wasn't wrong about the analysis. We saw McGee come on strong. And we saw, you know, we saw that McGee's pace and pressure was going to force Brady to fight. Now, I was betting that it wasn't going to be enough and it was going to be that veteran first loss lesson. However, he showed, you know, I, I did say if I was wrong, it was, it was going to be a, a good, it was going to be great because we we're going to need to see more of Sean Brady. We did. We had to see the more urgency in his counters, more of his strength with the wrestling, uh, even though it didn't really get, get that well going for him because really who does hold down Court McGee? And Court McGee was coming on strong at the end. So uh, good on Sean Brady. Um, don't mind being wrong, but and I'm a dummy for being wrong and all that stuff. And props to Paul's guy, but I will say, wasn't too wasn't too wrong on the analysis as far as how the swings would go in that fight. Brandon Allen defeated Kevin Holland. Man, didn't see that coming. Wow. Um, people saying you know tweeting Kevin Holland quit. And you know again, I'm not one to say that about fighters. It was definitely a bad look. Um, I don't know if it was a short notice and fatigue makes cowards of us all with that saying. But uh, I don't want to take anything away from Brendan Allen. And it's hard not to be happy for a guy like Brendan Allen, you know. I was hoping he would get the bonus. Hopefully uh, he got some money for that, you know, to get that chair for his brother. People don't know his story. Uh, his brother's a veteran. Um, and, uh, yeah. Tanner Bowser. Hedgehog hunting with Tanner Bowser. Hedgehog haircuts with Tanner Bowser. Defeated Daniel Spitz by unanimous decision. Not much to say about that. Uh, Eric, Eric Spicely defeated Brendan. What the heck? Okay, that's really weird. All right. Um, Bellator 231 goes down on uh, Friday here. As I time stamp at 34. Bellator. 231. I'm going to pull up odds. They actually have odds for it. Um, Nelson versus Mir. I did a video breakdown, not an in-depth, but that one is uh, up at MMAJunkie.com's YouTube as well as MMAJunkie.com. If you just type in my name, I'm sure it'll pop up there. Pulling up odds for it now, but essentially interesting, you know, um, in rematches and in uh, Southpaws, they have a uh, they have different stats. Um, sorry, I'm juggling around notes here. Uh, Roy Nelson, it's deceptive. He's like, what is he, like one and two or two? I'll just pull it up instead of guessing here. How about that, folks? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, Dan, we really don't like to listen to you ramble. Couldn't you certainly be prepared? All right, I'm trying. I'm juggling here. Out of my L. Donnie, you're out of your element. Donnie. All right. Uh, in rematches, oh, I don't know, Frank Mir, I don't think he's, he's had like two. I think Frank Mir is better on the rematch uh, angle, because uh, old Roy Nelson. Yeah, Roy Nelson is two and three against Southpaws, but those last two losses came against rematches against Mitrione and Mirko Flipovich. Mitrione's, you can make an argument for a draw. And that last fight against Miracle, you could argue that he won, won, round, won rounds two and rounds three there. So it's really uh, 
that's really it's it's really it's really deceptive how how, how you deal those out. So in rematches, he is zero and two. So again, the trend is not toward Roy, but he is the favorite, and he's also my pick. Um, just because I, you know, it, it's funny when they first fought. Let me go to Mir to see how he is in rematches. When he first fought, this was for Mir really ran into a rough patch. Uh, Mir looked in great shape, super tanned. I was watching it back then. Amir essentially, you know, he took him apart in the clinch. And Amir found that in the clinch is where he could find some success against Roy. And he actually started a trend. Um, Frank Mir's one and one. Yeah, that's right. He beat uh, Wes Sims in a rematch and then lost to Brock Lesnar in a rematch. Um, so he beats he beats Roy Nelson. And, and, and he, then he beats uh, Noguera and then goes on this weird stretch, right? Whereas Roy Nelson... Roy Nelson gets beat by Mir, finds out that he can be beaten in the clinch. But what it does to Roy Nelson is it kind of sparks him and motivates him to get in in better shape. Remember, it's probably the most sadly it was the most shape he would ever get into was the next fight, and it kind of we thought it was going to start a trend. <laughs> it, it changed for the positive trajectory, but Roy didn't. Roy kind of still just does what Roy does, right? Um, let's go to Roy now. And uh, that was at UFC 137, right? That ended up being headlined by Diaz and Penn, which was supposed to be headlined by somebody else. That's where Roy came in with a fat suit, and then after the, for the post fight, he, he shaved and looked all clean cut, right? Um, and that started a trend as far as Roy trying to get in shape. And, but more importantly, sadly for Roy, it also started a trend of people figuring out they could, they could abuse him in the clinch. Because he beats Flipovich after that mirror fight, but then he loses to Verdum. Remember, Verdum just owns him in the clinch. Able to get quick knockouts over Herman Mitrion Congo after that. But, uh, you know, uh, well, Miocic Cormier kind of, you know, uh, owns the clinch on him. Uh, Hunt knocks him out in close quarters. Barnett beats him up in the clinch later on in his career. Um, Karatanov beats him up in the clinch. You know what I'm saying? So it's, 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 a, it's kind of a running, uh, it's kind of a running theme. Uh, you know, they're Overeem as well, one of the best clinch fighters, uh, heavyweight ever, obviously. So, um, sorry, nephews are in the background there. So, so it was really interesting. So those things still apply, but even when Frank Muir was in, like, top shape and before the streak and much younger, this was, what, like, eight years ago? Like, he still kind of was giving up and kind of gassing out in that third round, and that's kind of Muir, right? He finishes your early. That's, that's always kind of been Muir, right? Finishes your early, otherwise your, your chances, not saying you can't win the decision, but you're... Your chances go up, so to speak. So, uh, and now both of them have only gotten like two knockouts in the last like six years or something. It's ridiculous. And, and Frank, two in the last five, Roy, two in the last six. And then like really both only like two wins in the last five years or something ridiculous. So it's hard to say, but I just think Roy Nelson, for as limited as his style is, he's a tank, but that, that tank. It only goes certain directions, but I think that age is much better than the guy who's dynamic and relies on finishing. Uh, because finishing is a big part of being a heavyweight, but I, I don't know if Mir's age is that well. The, the loss, that last loss was a bad look. Um, some of the things that I was hearing Mir saying in interviews of motivation, not being there, or saying it's going to be a boring fight, which I do agree that it is going to be a boring fight. And then he goes in his Instagram post, oh, I have people saying that on the podcast, let you know, I'm no, no, I'm taking more serious, I'm going to let like. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna use it as motivation, and I'm like, mm, are you, or is it? Because that sounded it came off a certain way, and I didn't even listen to it. By the way, I just went through his Instagram and saw that. 
That's kind of a flag. Then interviews he's doing this week where losing doesn't matter. As long as you don't make it obvious that you're not throwing a fight. Like, hearing stuff like that, I'm like, not good. So the pick is Roy Nelson uh, taking also Phil Davis over Carl Albertson, taking Ed Ruth over Jason Jackson, taking Beck Rawlings over Ilada Joanne. Don't even know who she is by looking. I'm being honest here, folks. Taking J.K. Avery over whoever Anthony Garrett is. Um, Mondel Nalo's fighting on the undercard. Stoked to see that. Toledo Noguera's back. Um, Tim Carlton. All right, going to go to the next card here. Uh, Bellator 232, which actually happens after. We're, we're going out of, like, new, like you know, chronological order, but since we're on Bellator, I'm just going to go to that as I write the timestamp here. 40. Okay, we're making way. Um, I did an in-depth breakdown, uh, written and video for this one. Of course, Bellator 232 is headlined by Roy McDonald versus Douglas Lima 2, which is for the welterweight title. All the marbles, a million dollars, winner of the Grand Prix, all that, and a bag of chips, which would be awesome. And uh, they get to have uh, 50 Cent coming and shaking his Le Chambois, which is always just so awkward. I love it. It's always the most awkward with Douglas Lima because Douglas Lima is the, not just a nice guy, but he looks like quiet, like a brooding, you know, badass, right? He's just like sitting there like all quiet. And you have 50 Cent, like especially in the first one where it's like they did the the champagne shaking in the back room, and it, but it was just really awkwardly. You have like Douglas Lima standing there and like, and now back back with our winner, Douglas Lima, who's about to be rewarded with a bottle of Le Chambois, and you have 50 Cent's Dumbass. Just, I'm sorry, I'm not a 50 Cent fan. I'm trying to refrain from cursing with my, my with my nephew, nieces in earshot. But yeah, 50 Cent just, you know, you know inappropriately, uh, kind of gesturally, uh, you know, just shaking the Lisham bottle, Lisham Duwal. Maybe he's not, but he's in Dan Tom scenario in his head. And then kind of just spraying Douglas Lima and just Douglas Lima just sitting there doing one of those like Simpsons Family Guy thing where they just do the blank stare and blinking at the camera while something ridiculous is going on on them or at them or in the background or foreground. But yeah, it's just, there's, there's going to be that awkward moment. Um, Douglas Lima's actually favored this time around. Uh, I picked Mallory Donald the first time in what would be a hard-fought decision. It was definitely a hard-fought decision. A competitive, but we saw a path to victory there. And if McDonald can rinse and repeat that path, hopefully smoother for his sake, then we all, the betting public, including myself, might feel a little bit dumb for favoring Douglas Lima, uh, the challenger, over the champion in a fight where the champion already won. It almost feels like an insult inherently, right? But... Not just Douglas Lima's on momentum. Not just Douglas Lima almost won the first light. Not just Douglas Lima is a badass. All right? Not just those things, which are all true. Not just that Douglas Lima can land his leg kick or his, uh, and, or knock Maureen McDonald out. I am picking L- Douglas Lima by third round stoppage of strikes. It's the fact that I think that the jab, for one, is going to play a quietly larger role than the leg kicks. If you w- go back to watch their first fight... Like, Rory McDonald was marked up by the jab early. Like, Lima was, despite the four inches of reach, he had that, 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 that really stepping and thudding jab. Lima was able to really just uh, mark him up early with the jab and kind of uh, create some of that urgency for the takedowns. Uh, the, 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 and it helped him land his leg kick, which obviously only increased said urgency to go for takedowns. Um... So I think the jab's actually going to play a real quiet role here. And more importantly, I only think it's going to take a couple of leg kicks. Uh, because when you go back to watch the Neiman Gracie fight, 
unfortunately, Gracie, like, he starts throwing leg kicks early, then he stops throwing them to the fifth round. Like, rounds two through four, he stops. It's, it's the weirdest thing. But, like, I think between round one and two, maybe it is between even between rounds two and three, but you hear McDonald repeatedly to his corner urging him, checking his shin, going, I think the damage is back. Referencing his worry, A, for his shin and the leg kicks that were landed, but B, refer- saying the word back. In other words, referencing specifically. He has that fight still in his head. You know, it just, it's, it's just like a nose when someone breaks their nose, which also happened with Roy, just like in a Stephen Thompson fight. We saw him check, almost, almost look for a way out, and he didn't. He stayed in, but even Roy admitted, he's like, I thought about going out for a second there. I thought my nose was done. I thought I was done. And I, I fought through in that fifth round. But remember when Stephen Thompson really starts piecing up on him? I mean, it's, the, those demons are right there, and it's not gonna, it's, it's, it, maybe it's only, it's only going to take one leg kick for it to come back, and it'll only probably take three leg kicks to get him, you know, near disabled. You kids okay? Yeah. Oh, jeez, be nice. You said you didn't want to be on the podcast. Now you're on the podcast. Because I'm recording right now. To the millions and millions and seven people listening to your uncle's podcast around the world. Okay, I'm gonna. You can. You can stay here. Be nice. So, uh, but yeah, basically, it's only gonna probably take three leg kicks, maybe even to disable him. And I think he's gonna do it by strikes now. Oh, what if Roy? You know, Roy showed he can be savvier than him in the clinch. It's very true. But in Lima's defense, for being an older fighter, and that fight not being too long ago, his two fights since then, he's actually showed improvement and against Andre Koroshkov, who actually originally out wrestled him in their first fight. And granted, it was the third fight he won. The second Douglas Lima did, but Douglas Lima showed improved hip urgency and awareness for my money. Eventually, floating and riding and earning himself a submission in the fifth round. So, I'm going to take Douglas Lima there. Taking Paul Daly against Sadawad was taking Doug, Paul Daly against whoever the heck he was supposed to face before. Also taking Patrick Mix over Isaiah Chapman was taking Patchy Mix before whoever the heck because he's another late replacement there. Of course, you know I'm taking my, my dude Nick Newell over whoever Luis Muro is. I'll be honest, I didn't look at it. Lance Gibson Jr. I guess it's Lance Gibson Sr. who is was a fighter and was in some movies and you guys might know him as uh, Rampage Jackson's uh, coach or maybe Julia Budd's uh, husband. Gibson MMA up there in Vancouver, Canada. Facing Dominic Jones, Devin Powell, take him. Uh, took Robin Von Roosmalen, whoever, oh, Chris Lee, you know, I know who that is. Um, and yeah, that, that covers Bellator 232. So now we're going to go on to UFC Singapore as I timestamp Shmia 46. Hopefully we can get this on in under an hour. Um, all right, guys, UFC Singapore. Yeah, Ben Askren, your favorite, minus 185. Damian Maya, plus one. 60 uh, as the underdog. This fight is, is headlining UFC Singapore, of course, which goes down in the wee hours in the morning for us United Staters, uh, especially on the West Coast. I'm uh, probably going to be doing like a 36-hour stretch or something at MMA. It's crazy. I'm going to stay up for I'm going to stay up for both. Hopefully, meet up with uh, shout out to the guys from MMA analysis. They're in town. If I had time, I told them I'm going to try to catch a beer. But I'm going to try to stay up all night. Probably just end up watching it from my house. They said they're going to try to look for books, but all the books are closed, so I'm probably just going to watch it from my house um, and see who shows up. Sometimes people show up for those late-night fights. The last eight, late-night one in Asia, we had uh, Julian Marquez, UFC middleweight, hanging out watching the fights, and and uh, we'll see we'll see who shows up for this one. But uh, I'll be staying up. Yes, Bella? Um, so Logan and me were going to go biking to go get food. 
I'll get your food. Can you wait like um, uh, 15 minutes? I'll get you guys money, but you guys got to wait 15 minutes, okay? All right. All right, let's see if I can get this done in 15 minutes, folks. Um, all righty. Uh, so, it's a different episode of the podcast, I know. Um, but, yeah, I got the in-depth breakdown uh, for the details. I'm actually got more excited the more I looked into this match, even though it could be potentially boring. Uh, I kind of see it being, like, hopefully a more active version as far as grappling and less in the clinch, but a similar version of Shields Maya. Uh, I get... You know, I love Maya. He's got an underdog price on him. I get it. He has more ways to win. He's the better striker. He's an underrated striker that no one really talks about. Got an underrated left hand. Um, obviously, the better submission threat. No slouch in wrestling. He's got his tricky presenting style that I always preach about. The half guard dives to single leg. Uh, his own version of it kind of built off of what Big Nog made popular in Pride. He'd shoot, shoot shots and pull to half guard. Just The trick was not here. He knew it was a crap shot. He just needed to engage in the grappling, and he would have his sets of sweeps from there. But Ben Asker knows these things. Um, similar to Colby Covington and George Masvidal, I think he's going to benefit from already running through a successful camp, or you know, especially especially a successful camp, uh, going through the repetitions and having to study his game. Now he's going through camp number two. Um, I think Asker knows what to do, and even if you look at his collegiate wrestling career, uh, you know, he finished on an 87. Uh, match win streak and all the winning margins they never narrowed they only widen which means not only can Askren take a leap but he can protect it and I think that's what he does here uh, Maya's you know never been strong off his back in MMA he's got a lot of triangle arm bars in his gi days and his no gi days when he was facing like heavier dudes and heavyweights where he's fighting with the Gabe Gonzagos of the world but he really isn't done well even if you went back to look at like his very early fights in the UFC and even when like I know Ed Herman actually comes from a strong grappling camp and was underrated in his jiu-jitsu himself. But, like, you look at – and I know he got submitted in that fight. But you look at when, like, Ed Herman and all these guys that got on top. I went back and watched all of the fights where guys took Maya down or ended up on top. And all those guys really did well for the most part, aside from the obvious cases that got swept. And I talk about the obvious cases because there were people who, on paper, were probably going to get swept. They weren't, they weren't wrestlers, jiu-jitsu people, or grapplers, strengths of any sort. So I think I think Askren takes that avenue here, unfortunately. I would love to be wrong here, but I think Askren takes the decision. Good luck if you played Maya. Taking Michael Johnson, wanted to look at Stevie Ray, but you know, Michael Johnson typically does well in Southpaw versus Southpaw matchups. Stevie Ray hasn't had too many of them. I don't suspect he has too many Southpaws to train with, whereas Michael Johnson, I know one of them I think is behind bars right now or something, Des Green. But like uh, he's t- typically been around camps that have a lot of Southpaws to train with. And he's done well in his southpaw versus southpaw matchups, going back up to 155. And also, it doesn't look like he's doing it the lazy way. It looks like he's really into his strength and conditioning, which is a good thing. If he can stay focused, he should get this and stay off the cage. Stevie Ray could be strong, could take people down in the clinch. But those are like were his best of days. And against certain opponents, where maybe in hindsight it made more sense, though he did, you know, was able to take out some decent grapplers, low key ones. If you look on Stevie Ray's record, you know, I love the Scotsman throwing his kecks, but. Taking Michael Johnson here. I don't know if I play him for that price. But Neil Daryush minus 150. Kama- Frank the Tank Camacho plus 130 underdog. Was looking at Frank the Crank, man. Uh, uh, he's a live dog here, but I'm picking Daryush. This one's going to be a stay away, though, man, because I think, I think Camacho's live. Um, I, I, I don't want, you know, I don't want to say Daryush's chin is suspect, but Camacho's got power. He can bang. Uh, he's a guy that's maybe even more fitting for 170. But he looks like they both look like in the shape of their lives, which makes me feel a lot better about Dar- Dariush. Camacho's 
hit weight, miss weight, um, but he always seems to take it pretty seriously for the most part. I just don't know if his frame really just should be making 155. Whereas Daryush, I think he just kind of had a weird-looking body or whatever, not to be a dick, but, like, he just, you know, athleticism was the thing kind of lacking from Bernil Daryush. So um, it was that was always kind of the factor uh, when I'm picking matches with him. He can still win this fight if he fights smart, but I don't know. And I talked about this before, and this isn't a knock on Kings of May. I have friends that go there, and I love their fighters, even if I didn't have friends that go there. Shout out John John Rico. Uh, but, like, I, I do wonder if... if not that it's weak, but I definitely don't think that game planning is the strongest part of King's MMA. Uh, Benil Dariush can be kind of coaxed into the brawl, which happened to his own admission, and Drew Dober. Whereas, you know, uh, he he kind of has two different messages. I've heard him both say he wants a finish and really wants to prioritize the finish and was disappointed he didn't get the finish against Moises, but, you know, they needed to get back on track in that fight. So he, it's hard to look too deeply into that one. Whereas um, he also says with a guy like Camacho, which is true, he's got to avoid the dogfight. So can he avoid the dogfight and farts, fight smart, or can he knock Camacho out? Because I don't know if he's going to get Camacho down. Dariush has got some crafty things, but, but Camacho's pretty good, man. Like uh, He's got a good base and balance. He's got some slick foot sweeps of his own. He's a pretty sturdy dude. So um, if he does off-balance him, Frank will tripod. It's hard to take his back. It looks like he's inviting it, but he's got a steep ski slope he keeps for his tripod so that'll be interesting to see how those scrambles shake out but I see this being a war uh, unfortunately which makes it hard to pick a side but I'm going to pick Daryush reluctantly here uh, of course I got love for Benny but in, in Kings but you know I just uh, I, I'm, I'm admittedly not too. I also got love for Camacho who's by the way doing his camps at Team Oyama so he looked uh, good his last time out I didn't get to go back and rewatch that fight so forgive me if I'm wrong there but yeah uh, pick is Daryush, though. All right, Cyril Ghani, minus 380. Dante Mays, plus 315. Tough to see that on a heavyweight fight, a 4-0 guy. You know, against a guy like Dante Mays, who's more experienced. But Dante Mays really hasn't fought anybody high level or proven either. So it's like, what can you really say? Cyril Ghani, of course, the athletic prospect, trains with Francis Ngannou and looks every bit of that stereotype. Um, and will also go against stereotype by finishing twice now by submission. Uh, so uh, the pick is, is, is Ghani. I haven't gone back to watch this fight. I was impressed from what I saw. Um, and Dante Mays is a guy that I root for from the Contender Series. You know, he was on there three times. Uh, it would be cool to see him upset here. But the pick is Ghani. Similar to Johnson, though. Do I want to play that chalk for that price? I don't know. You know, maybe if I'm looking uh, late at night and I've had a drink or two, maybe I'll look at some props to stay degenerate to help keep me awake for this fight. But uh, there's going to be real light on the picks and plays, guys. Again, I wasn't able to do... Um, Kind of like I said earlier in my disjointed message in the beginning, I wasn't able to do a lot of uh, study this week by having to go over four cards and one fight fucking probably for not now with this Diaz Mosfidal BS and then all the other stuff going on in my life. So hopefully you can forgive me, folks. It's a free service. I still hold myself to the highest standard, so I'm still mad at myself for whatever it's worth. But the same token, hopefully I'll cut me some slack here. I'm always honest with you when I do or don't uh, do my full tape study. So uh, I'm also going to take Muslim Salikov, who's the favorite, minus 170 over Loriano Starapoli, plus 150 for the uh, Argentinian. Um, of course, a lot of Argentinian, a lot of, lot of um, Italian. It's like all the World War II people went to run there, you know, because you got like Argentina, you got Japan, right? You got or Argentina, you got Italians there. You also got like low-key Japanese places in like, uh, not just Argentina, where's another place? 
I forget. And then you got like Germans and, and like all the Nazis that ran away, of course. It's kind of weird, but Lariano Starapoli. Uh, he looks like just a really raw South American Southpaw kickboxer, but like of the upper grade. He's not like Jesus. He's not like Jesus, Jesus freaking Pinedo or like uh, freaking uh, other. It's probably better I forget these names. Don't disparage these guys, Dan. They're just trying to do their thing. Uh, but he's on the higher level of South American strikers, though. Uh, that being said, he's still a little raw. Needs some sharpening. I'm like, this guy training an American top team? He seems like the kind of guy that would, or maybe it would be good for him. No, but he is making it over to uh, Brazil, uh, the neighboring Brazil, to train with Shootbox over there, Charles Oliveira. I don't know how, how helpful that's going to be. Uh, Salikov's not a submission threat, and he's definitely not a Muay Thai stylist. He's a Wushu Sanda stylist. Uh, comes from Machachkala, which is... Uh, a region of Dagestan, you know, this is a strong Wushu Sanda base. So it's going to be a lot of spins um, and, and different types of timing and different types of clinch and, and timings and rhythms, of course, much different than Muay Thai. Uh, so I'll take Salikov here in a fight that's going to be a striking match. Although, again, Salikov can get stung too, and Staropoli is an athletic freaking young spaz so you don't know what you're going to get he's one of those kids like you don't know what you're going to get each time you see him all right next fight randa marco is taking this fight i believe on somewhat short notice against ashley yoder plus 125 uh, i'm picking this fight as i'm talking to you now because i was midway through or not midway i was about to start the uh randa marco's interview on a uh, good old the score mma james lynch's up uh, youtube uh, channel over there the score mma um and uh, but i did Listen to Yoder's. I'm always a fan of Yoder. I like Yoder. I like her story uh, from her family and her struggles and just her personality, as quirky as it is. I am a Yoder fan. Not for the creepy reasons. Maybe a little bit for the creepy reasons. <laughs> Stay on target. Stay on target. Uh, but it does worry me, though, that she does look prettier each time we see her. And nothing wrong with a girl looking pretty, folks. It's not what I'm saying. I'm a fan, but I'm also not one to use it against them in a, in a sexist way. That being said... When we're looking at things, trying to be critical and look for flags and bending angles or this and that. I say the same things about dude. If I see a, see a dude come in with like a brand new haircut and he just changed his style, I'm like, oh, sh this, they might as well be walking out to Eminem. Something about when a dude drastically changes his hairstyle, bad things happen. Like I remember when Jim Miller came out kind of sporting some lettuce. I got really worried there in that Alex White fight, right? I got pretty worried in that one. So uh, it's uh, it's just one of those things. Um, it's one of those things. But I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to go with uh, – Yoder here for the upset. Uh, Random Marcos, doesn't she win one, lose one? You know what? Let's pick that right now. Let's see where she's at in the win-loss spectrum of Random Marcos because I believe she has a, a pattern of doing that. Boy, this is, an un, this, is, uh, this is uninspired or inspiring analysis, is it not? Um, oh, by the way, i got to just double back on one. Darren Wynn, Stewart Point. That ties to the main event in my ass. Green kind of. Uh, if these things will ever pop up, yes. She lost her last fight. You know what? I'll go with Random Marcos to win. Uh, she can stay out of the opportunistic subs and wrestle and use her pressure, even though she's on somewhat short notice. We'll see. All right. Uh, next fight. That's where the questions will kind of start running in. We got uh, Rafael Fizeev. He's back up to minus 120. I didn't think he should be that high. Neither did the public. Money came in on Alex White. So, like, I saw Fizeev back down, like, minus 185. Now money's back on Fizeev, which I... Uh, I don't know if I'm going to play – I wouldn't play that price per se, but I agree in the sense of uh, who the favorite is. I like Fasiev here. I'm going to look for the uh, question as I pull it up here on the old Twitter. Here we go. 
What are Josh Ammo, at Ammo Josh, what are your thoughts on Rafael Fazia this weekend? I think he had a hard fight in his debut when he got caught, but has tremendous potential. I think he could have kept fighting if he wasn't stopped. I'm all over him in this fight versus Alex White. You and many people. Um, I was skeptical just out of principle. But when I look at it, I don't know what the hell Alex White's doing. He still hasn't changed up his training. He still hasn't updated his damn Instagram since 2017. He seems like he's on the spectrum. Uh, he's on teams, maybe not on team spin spectrum, but he's on team sling blade. Well, I'm going to kill somebody. Uh, so I, I don't know what the fuck's up with that kid. Rafael Fazeev has seen a lot of southpaws from the camp he comes from, uh, training with the Shevchenkos. And now he's over at Tiger Muay Thai, as he's been before, and is in the duration for this camp, which makes sense for Singapore. I was impressed with him, too. I remember being impressed with him before. Um, I just think we all kind of overslept on Mustafaev. Mustafaev's a really dangerous guy, and it was a much more dangerous matchup than me and many gave credit to because it was going to be a striking matchup with a knockout Wushu Sanda striker who deadens guys in Mustafaev. So... I don't think I think that I don't think that's a, a condemning loss. I mean, we look Gokan Saki lost us for you know. Granted, he's less uh, MMA seasoned or was when he made his UFC debut, but even a guy like of his caliber, like how many kickboxers do we just see get caught in the small gloves with some crazy shit? Like that's nothing new. So I don't think it's it, it, it's that condemnable. I, I like what I saw from Fazeev. Granted, it's not against the the best competition like his fight before that in Titan FC but I like what I saw you know going to the body being able to counter wrestle do certain things and I also really like he fights the southpaw in that fight as well I also really like when orthodox fighters are doing southpaw tricks to southpaws you know like that that inside that slip inside angle counter that Conor McGregor makes famous or you know Darren Darren Till uses all the time when I see guys from orthodox stands nailing southpaws with that shit that means something, folks. And Rafael Fazeev can do that for what that's worth. So I'm with you, Josh. I'll take Fazeev here as well. Um, Mavzar Evloev, minus 200. Enrique Barzola, plus 170. I think I tried to fade Evloev uh, in a shot that was a fight that was admittedly, it was, I think it was on my avoid list with Thiago Moises. It just I didn't know what I was going to get with Moises. I projected Moises to make a jump. He didn't. He continued to show that there's something wrong with him. Whereas Evloev, Slow but steady actually ends up being a good thing. I like this guy's body jabs, his fundamentals on the feet, and it really just opens up, sets the pace, keeps him safe at a nice, smooth operator, operating speed uh, to get his wrestling game going. And whereas Barzola, I think it's a, a case where, like, Barzola, I, I was like, where the hell? This guy is not as, not that he sucks. I, I appreciate the Peru guys and uh, a special spot for Peru in general. Much love for Peru. But, like, what's the hype behind Barzola? This guy's really not good at anything. And then I end up, like, you know, even in decisions where he probably should have lost, I just learned my lesson from fading him, from peeking against him. And I said, you know what, Barzola, you win. I'm going to look at what you do good, goddammit. And then what did Dan and maybe many start to do? We started to overcorrect the steering wheel from Barzola's pace and pressure. And you know what? Maybe he's not as good as we thought, folks. So I'm going to take Mazvar Evloev here. I am not scared of this trap line at all. Um... Uh, you know, again, it could look it could look like, hmm, is this that, should he be kind of like the Fazeev line? Uh, maybe he should be high, which he should be a higher favorite over Barzola is than Fazeev is over White. But still, it's kind of one of those similar things. But I think the, the favorite's in the right place, folks. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going to run out for those prices. I'm not saying you should run out and play either of these guys straight up or in parlay piece. But I do bring up both because I think it's going to be one of those things where the price is going to be more justified in hindsight. The pick is Evloev here. Uh, Sergey Pavlovich minus 145 and the Crochet Boss plus 205. That's a weird Cat Maurice Green, man. Um, I remember after like I just got my cast off of my hand 
and I made the mistake of reaching like to go give this guy a handshake. I'm like, I was avoiding fighter handshakes all week, and the one fighter you give your hand for a handshake for, yeah, a six five giant black man. Sure, Dan, that's that's gonna be the. It was like the scene from Animal House, like, do you mind if we dance with your dates? And I'm like, please go easy on my hand, Mr. Maurice. <laughs> no, Maurice is a nice guy. Um, he's actually, yeah, the, I didn't watch Tough, so I didn't get a bad impression of him. Uh, so I just met him from in the studio, and I, I actually really liked him from meeting him in the studio. Uh, so I don't get any of that that backlash. But I do agree with him being in the underdog here, unfortunately, for Maurice. Sergey Pavlovich, unless you can overpower him in the clinch, um, he's got crazy meat hooks that you don't want to be on the bottom of. And if he catches you standing, you're in trouble. Um, I don't know if he gets him out of there or not. But I do think he land with a, early. But I do think he lands something early that either will cause for a late, an eventual stoppage, or will keep Green on his bicycle and looking for other opportunities uh, and making it a stymieing fight where Sergey Pavlovich just wins a dominant decision. Uh, someone asked me about this earlier in the week because they're asking, well, they're asking me about like tape study, and then I, I, I tagged my buddy Brian. Was joking. I was like, I haven't got it for this fight, but uh, I know my buddy uh, Brian Schoonhofer. I uh, already looked up all of uh, Alexandra Albu's uh, fight library, and he doesn't even know she's fighting this week. That's an inside joke, because Brian is obsessed with Albu and uh, her Instagram. Uh, and I don't know who uh, Luma Look Bone Me is uh, at minus 120. She, I guess people looked at the footage of Look Bone Me, and there's probably something there. I didn't see stuff, but um, follow the money, folks. It's probably right to fade the uh, the Instagram girl, uh, not to be a, not to be a joke. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, I could see why I would stay away from it either way, but I'm not surprised the line flipped without even doing research. Uh, Jeff Hughes, minus 250, Rafael Pizzoa, comeback on him is plus 210. Um, yeah, I think Jeff Hughes is going to win. I don't know if it's going to be a finish or not. Uh, I just, I didn't like what I saw from Pizzoa. If, if I remember correctly, I think he gave that submission to a uh, homeboy higher up on the card. And uh, I just wasn't even impressed with him too much. I think he was a contender series guy. So Jeff Hughes, um, I don't know if it's going to be over or under or not. I'm going to say it's over because it's Jeff Hughes' fight. So, oh, they took off odds for, for Masvidal and uh, Diaz. What do you know? Bummer. Um, real quick, uh, before I recap picks and plays, I just want to say real quick uh, a point I talked about. It's something that people were questioning when I, when I was saying, like, Ben Askren, um, when, I, when I broke down Masvidal. Uh, when I said that the fight, you know, I actually did say, you know, watch out for Masvidal's knees at one point. Uh, but, uh, you know, I did say Masvidal, if he does win, my, my path, at least what I thought, was going to be later than early. And people were like, what are you talking about? There's no way if he, if he wins late, that means Askren was wrestling him. There's no way um, you can come back from a wrestler. And it's just this weird thing. And the reason why it ties to win versus Stewart, because I talked about it a bit in this fight, the way I broke that fight down, and it serves as a good example, is... The typical striker versus grappler thing is as evolved as our sport is, guys. Striker versus grappler is still a matchup that we're seeing, but the way that it plays out has changed because the sport has evolved. So we're still, in other words, we're still getting striker versus grappler matchups, but it's not like it used to be. We're like, okay, well, the striker's going to win. He's got to catch him early while he's still standing or in the beginning of a round. Because once the wrestler gets going, your percentages just dramatically drop at the end of the first round. And there's some matchups where that dynamic still absolutely exists for one reason or another, right? But it's not the same. Strikers are able to not just defend takedowns better, but they're able to get up. So unless you're a guy who can not only take a guy down, but you have to be able to hold a guy down, and with scoring as it should be, emphasizing more on damage and refs being less patient, you not only have to hold a guy down, but you actually have to be active and convince judges to either 
give you the round or get the finish and not risk convincing them. So you're being asked to do a lot more as the grappler in today's MMA while your opponents know a lot more as far as fighting you goes. So as we see, with that being said, wrestlers are actually having to exert more energy now than grapplers or non-grapplers are, strikers are, having to defend and get up from said takedowns to we're seeing a lot of things where the guy, even with a guy with who's notably had gas tank issues like a Darren Stewart, is the more fresher guy after wrestling with the wrestler. Does that make sense? So the stereotype's not as strong as it is, folks. You can still get, wrestlers can still get tired wrestling. It's, it's, not, just, it's not that old adage where, oh, he's going to get tired striking because he's a wrestler, but he can wrestle all day. Oh, he's going to get tired wrestling because he's a striker, but he can strike all day. It's not necessarily true anymore, folks. The techniques and the cross-training are so advanced and the information is so out there. Everybody knows everybody's, everybody, everybody's shit now. Um, this isn't crazy. So I think we need to get that out of our head. But all right, going to recap, starting from top to bottom, from Bellator to UFC, taking Roy Nelson over Frank Mir, taking Phil Davis over Carl Albertson, taking Ed Ruth over Jason Jackson, taking Beck Rawlings over Iliara Joanne, taking Jake Hager over Anthony Garrett, taking Douglas Lima by third round, TKO over Roy McDonald, taking Paul Daly to, do, to beat Sada Wad. Uh, though I think Sadawa would be a much liver dog if he had a full training camp in that fight, by the way. Taking Patrick Mix over Isaiah Chapman. Taking Nick Newell over Manny Murrell. Taking Robin Van Roosmalen over Chris Lencioni. Moving on to UFC. Taking Ben Askren over Damian Maia. Taking Michael Johnson over Stevie Ray. Taking Benil Daryush over Frank Camacho. Taking Cyril Ghani over Dante Mays. Taking Muslim Salikoff or over Loriano Staropoli. Taking Randa Marcos over Ashley Yoder, although that's probably a stay away. Uh, taking Rafael Fazeev over Alex White. Taking Mazvar Evloev over Enrique Barzola. Taking Sergey Pavlovich over Ma- Maurice Green. Taking Loma Lukbunmi over Alexandra Albu. Taking Jeff Hughes over Rafael Pazoa. Uh, no real plays or picks, but I will say probably avoid Albu Lukbunmi. Probably avoid Yoder Marcos. And probably avoid uh, Camacho Daryush unless you're playing the dog there. All right, folks. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. Oh, let me see uh, really quick before I get out of here. Did I? Where did my phone go? Uh, before I get out of here, let's see if I have any more uh, questions that I'm supposed to answer. Oh, Craig Allen, sorry. Do you think we'll continue to see Bellator doubling up similar events? Yeah, I kind of answered that earlier. I do think they're going um, uh, to keep doubling up Craig because... Uh, like, for example, th- this weekend's fights, looks like Bellator contract season. We're starting to see, in other words, we're starting to see more names pop up on the prelims for a reason because Bellator, albeit their schedule still not as crazy as the UFCs, they have been quietly picking up folks because they've been quietly, again, building more and more talent. They don't have room to just dull out locals to fill stadiums, which was their usual plan of attack as far as the prelim goes. Like, they're actually having to give decent fighters fights and they're starting to get buried so the way to alleviate that is they're doubling up whether they're doubling up in Uncasville like this weekend or they'll even double up even if it costs them more money and logistical nightmares like when they do you know uh you know Italy and the United States show in the same weekend they do that all the time too so in other words sadly I think we're going to see more doubling up and more shows Craig Allen Stephen Duck Kemper what does the UFC do with Francis what do you make of the heavyweight division in general seems like a ton of talent but not enough fights in that top 10 do they resort to an interim title 
Um, man, yeah, they may have to. It depends on what Stipe has got going on. He's the ultimate holder, but there's some BS going on with Francis, and that sucks for him, man. It's almost just like payback, right? Like, uh, in a weird way, they don't give you fights. Oh, we offered them fights. We're offering them fights. We're doing our part contractually, but it's like you were offering them crap fights for probably crap money kind of a thing. I'm not defending Francis. I'm not. I, Francis probably is hard to work with as well. But, as you know, I typically give benefit of the doubt inside and sympathize with the fighters. Wombat MMA, I think the UFC is doing us a favor. Weak as fuck car before the heat turns up. I don't think so, Wombat MMA. Respectfully, thank you for chiming in. But, I, like I said before, I think they're doing a disservice, even though um, UFC 244 may be losing its main event or its original main event. They're doing UFC 244 what is originally intended to be a disservice by putting, a, you know, by, you know, having, you know, cards before and after it. Um, all right, those were all. Sorry about that. A little bit off course there, but still pretty much the recap of the picks and plays right at the very end. Good luck this weekend, folks. I'll keep you updated on what's going on with me, my podcast. Otherwise, I will see you next week for whatever the hell UFC 244 has in store. Uh, until then, good luck on your picks and plays. And always protect your neck. <laughs>